At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Good morning, Roxy Soxy. Good afternoon, Tam Tam. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, but I've like, you know, it's interesting because it's this time of year. I'm feeling mm -hmm. super, you know, I get these DMs all the time. They go, how are you feeling with your anxiety? And I'm like, I'm not actually feeling anxious because anxiety, I feel like is this like neural loop that we keep looping on. And for me, it's like, I don't have time to be anxious, but I'm super stressed and I'm super overwhelmed, which I mm -hmm. feel like is not the same as anxious. <laughs> um, so I just feel like dizzy. I feel overwhelmed. I feel uh, like I'm time poor right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's happening with that is I'm getting like my limbic systems kind of raising. And then what happens is I'm kind of getting a little snappy, a little short. Um, you know, I'm apologizing to my kids like every night. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Mommy wasn't there. Like, you're not mean. And I'm like, well, it's a little mean. Um, so I'm just trying to like keep myself in check, keep my mental health in check. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just the last week has been, a, it's been a lot. Yeah. You know, I hear you. I think my hormones and you're being overwhelmed need to go take a walk and leave us the fuck alone right now because <laughs> I am in deep in the throes of PMS right now and it's oh, literally man. nothing feels good right now you know it's like are you cycle syncing yes I've been cycle syncing and you know what I signed David up for the cycle syncing app so he oh, good. <laughs> this is why my wife is being a bitch yeah I get it so he like slinked out today he was like I'll be back and he just yeah. like left I'm like okay bye you What's the, what's worse is like, if my husband will be like, are you getting your period? I'll be like, it was two weeks ago. Like, how can you say that? Like, he's like, well, I just thought that that was the reason I'm like, oh my God, men are so just, they don't have a lot of information to be honest with you. Like, it's like, they've never really been taught how to handle no. women in their cycles. And mm -hmm. you know, we do, we change. Like we had Elisa Vidi from my flow um, here recently and they changed. So, we changed so much emotionally, mentally, and physically throughout mm -hmm. the course of the month. And it's like, they are very confused. Cause I feel like they're very simple. Um, they're <laughs> like, it just feed me and let me sleep. And that's about it. Um, so, you know, we are definitely very different. And uh, that's why I think our next guest is, oh, is the perfect person for this subject. So what's going on rocks? Oh my God. Well, we finally, this has been such a long time coming. We're so excited to have her been on. Begging to have her on. We're like, <sighs> please. We have been like manifesting it. Um, manifesting, doing circles, yeah, like chanting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're like, come on, Erica. <laughs> so today we have Erica Chitty on. She's the founder of Loom, which is this amazing platform for body literacy and really mm. getting to know your body. Um, she's doing some really amazing things with that. She also has, um, she has like a, a brick and mortar and then also a digital platform. She's also an author, a speaker, and she hosts a podcast with, <laughs> oh, I don't know. What's, what's her oh, name? What's her name? Uh, Sound, uh, rhymes with Meneth Maltro. Yeah. Meneth Maltro. Yeah. I don't know. I've never heard of her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So something goopy, goopy, goop. <laughs> Yeah, like that, you know, Very sticky. <laughs> yeah, really sticky and goopy. So yes, today we have Erica Chidi on. Woo! 
Welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, ladies. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. You know, I did a deep dive on you a while ago and Loom. And when you go on Loom, when you when you find out what is what Loom is about, there it's written that Loom was founded on the belief that a woman's well-being begins with her sexual and reproductive health, and that education is a powerful and historically undervalued form of healthcare. Why are women, because I feel this way, I've, and we'll go into that in a little bit, but why are women so devalued when it comes to healthcare? Um, and why are they kept out of so many studies? It's just, it doesn't feel like any of this makes sense. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting the question that you're asking the why, and I think the why is an ancient why, and mm -hmm. that why is patriarchy. Mm -hmm. The fact that women or people that have those parts or non-binary folks were never were never thought to be where they are now. We were mm -hmm. considered property, we were considered not important. So you know, mm -hmm. research about our physical form, our physiology, our anatomy mm -hmm. beyond childbearing and just basically like get in, get out childbearing, <laughs> not anything, you know, more complex around that mm -hmm. has been the you know, kind of the, the, the drumbeat of the medical model, the scientific model. And so that is pretty much a simple way of putting it, the fact that women are not valued. Mm. And secondly, you know, we live in a culture that, that hates women. We live in a very misogynistic culture. Mm. And in order to create care systems that actually take care of women, we have to actually care about them inherently at the base of our culture and our society and that's just not there so when we think about how that reflects in a macro sense mm. it just looks like terrible health insurance not having pelvic floor therapy be a part mm. of just like in general you know women's health person mm -hmm. health experience um you know that birth tra trauma is normalized mm. uh that you know breastfeeding or chest feeding, you know, we are kind of like raised in captivity. We never see it until we're doing it. And then we're like, what the fuck is this? Exactly. What anyway, it's always like this. Mm -hmm. And then you think it's wrong. You think you're not doing it right, let alone like, you know, one of the things I always used to, you know, say when I was teaching physically at Loom when we had our brick and mortar space, I would always set up breastfeeding like this. I'd say, hey, listen up. When's the last time you had to do something every day, 12 to 14 times a day for about 40 minutes to an hour each time. And you don't mm -hmm. feel like doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like that's breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. You're just like, who signed up for this? I'm doing this 12 times. And that's just that one thing. That's not mm -hmm. even the other stuff. That's not the snuggling. That's not the diapering. It's not the soothing. It's not the changing. And so when you don't get, it's like, it's almost like sticker shock on a car, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like, if you don't get told all of the other things that are going to be related to this experience, of course, you're going to feel like a deer in headlights and you're mm -hmm. going to get, you're going to have postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum OCD. Keeping in mm -hmm. mind postpartum is a normal physiological state. It's the mental, uh, you know, uh, the, the mental health complexities that are, are the thing that we should be switching out. So oftentimes I'll hear women say, I had postpartum and it's like, yeah, of course you have postpartum postpartum you were postpartum you right. baby. but right. if you actually have a you know a mental health issue um, or mental health disorder um, connected to that you know it's always really important to kind of you know connect those two so you know just to kind of like wrap that out 
I just feel like the lack of information, which is why, you know, what we're doing at Loon, a lot of people ask us like, why education? Like, you know, why not like telemedicine or XXXX? And to me, what's really missing, especially with what I just shared, the simplicity of it. It's like when women or people can get education like that, it's protective. And that's just mm-hmm. not what's happening in mm-hmm. care appointments because care appointments are like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're longer if you have, you know, better, you know, insurance access, or maybe you financially can afford to, you know, have more privatized care. But, you know, what we're really working to build at Loom is that every single woman or person should have enough education to be able to make the best possible decision for themselves around birth, around fertility, around menopause, uh, and especially with their sex and intimacy experiences, which mm-hmm. is another thing that we don't talk about. I was saying the other day to someone, um, you know, we have frameworks for everything else. You know, we have frameworks for learning how to drive. We have frameworks for getting married. We have frameworks for you know just all these things. But then when it comes mm-hmm. to sex, when it comes to our bodies, it's like. Shh, 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 no framework right. you know and then we right. and then we all wonder like okay so like why why does it look like this like should I have an, do I want to have an orgasm what does an orgasm feel like do I like having sex that's penetrative do I not like having sex? it's just there's no discussion and so I think mm. the moment we're at right now just I think globally especially at this stage of the pandemic is I think we're, we're too tired to to not care you know, it's yeah. like, you're too exhausted to be like, I'm just going to like fog it through and phone it. in. it's like everything, like you were just saying to him and about feeling time poor, you mm-hmm. know, we are also like experience poor too. We're just like, mm-hmm. I am not having enough of the quality of experiences that I want to have. And mm-hmm. so I want to reclaim my time, Maxine Waters, I want to reclaim my time. Mm-hmm. And I want to actually optimize my, my, my embodied experience. I want to feel okay in here. And this is not about feeling like amazing. This is like, I just want to feel okay. And I just want to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so with Loom, like that's really the baseline. And that's why I say sexual reproductive health is that kind of cornerstone, because when you have that information about your period or fertility or sex or, or menopause, you're just, you're, you're coming, you're coming to the world with a little bit more support than most Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's really what i'm super focused and we're super focused at in in giving in giving women and people you know i remember um my daughter's seven now but i went to loom i think it was when uh, you first opened with a with a yes you were blonder (laughs) she's always trying to be blonder uh, the covid COVID hair is in full effect (laughs) Uh, but yes that's right so we met down at loom yes. and I remember walking in and just being like so impressed I felt so like welcome and it just felt so warm and just everyone was so mm-hmm. knowledgeable and I think it, it it almost felt like like you you know we talk a lot about mental health on this show and how important mm-hmm. it is to see your therapist and you know take care of your mental health but you guys were almost like therapists for like your body like mm-hmm. getting to know the ins and outs of your body and i feel like even you know at the point of life where i am now i am still really body illiterate like mm-hmm. i don't know like during the time you know different times of the month and the different cycle 
I don't know what's going on with my body. I feel like my body sometimes feels like it's just completely taken over, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at Loom, what, what are you guys doing right now, especially with your digital platform to kind of, you know, reach out to as many women as you can based on, on all these things and trying to get them more body literate. Mm -hmm. Such a great question. And you know, what we're doing right now is we are fully digital. So the brick and mortar space is actually just a office space for us now. We really took a pretty strong line around COVID, even as it's transitioned and changed. My dad's um, an infectious disease specialist. And so I really felt like I'm just going to be as cautious as possible. And I felt that the education that we were providing would really do what it needed to do in the digital space as well. So, uh, what we launched over the summer was our first program, which is a pregnancy and postpartum program, mm. really focusing on, you know, from those first few weeks of pregnancy through to about the first two or three months postpartum, um, providing real information that mm. is hard to find in other places and really thinking about centering the woman. A lot of the pregnancy and postpartum information out there tends to be very baby centric, mm. whereas the fact is as you become a parent or a mother, however you want to identify, you are still the same person. Mm -hmm. There's this huge transition that you're going to, going through, but you as a person remains like connected to the, mm -hmm. to the life that you have, although you are going to be making some pretty major changes. And so, you know, in the way that we talk to women in the program, it's really about, hey, here's how you can stay connected to who you are, but gain the skills that you need to feel like you can move into this next phase with mm. confidence and feeling empowered and, and really helping people do things that a lot of other educational you know, programs or mm -hmm. even providers don't do. Like, you know, there's a whole topic in the program called negotiate and advocate that mm. I really was excited to have in the program because, you know, my hypothesis was women really struggle to negotiate pay negotiate their mm -hmm. needs in a relationship. So of course they're going to struggle to negotiate with their healthcare. And so mm -hmm. there's a whole topic in there that talks about how to negotiate with your care provider. And I'm sure both of you have had friends and even maybe in your own pregnancies where you were like negotiating, you know, an induction potentially or mm -hmm. negotiating like, you know, one procedure over the other. And so, you know, it's, it's things like that, like really tactical skills. And then all of the basics, like, you know, what does it look like when labor starts? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how to whether you want to bring in a doula or not, how to figure that piece out. And then, you know, even basic things like nutrition that most women don't realize and people don't realize mm -hmm. that when you're pregnant, you're actually in a diabetogenic state, meaning mm -hmm. that your body is operating more like someone that has diabetes, which means how you need to be eating needs to be more like mm -hmm. on the protein end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. um, less, you know, less simple carbohydrates, more complex carbohydrates in order for you to, you know, move away from potentially getting gestational diabetes. And so basic, basic things like that, that most people don't realize that ends up creating more challenges down the road um, is, is, a, is a big part of the program. And then there's a whole mental health component, mm -hmm. you know, where we really are looking at mindset and just really mm -hmm. thinking about how are we solving for anxiety? Because, you know, a recent Stanford study came out maybe about three months ago that five out of five pregnant people are experiencing anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. That's everybody. That's the whole, that's the whole right, kit and right. mm -hmm. So really, and thinking about the fact that, you know, anxiety and depression really affects the pregnancy and affects, you know, uh, things like all kinds of outcomes, whether it's, you know, preterm labor, mm -hmm. lower birth weight, all of these things. So 
the program really packs a punch, mm-hmm. you know, it's all there and you can really kind of pick and choose what you need because I'm sure as both of you know, you know, when I was still doing in-person work as a doula and then just mm-hmm. our ethos is loom, you know, we really believe in that. We believe that all birth is natural. So mm-hmm. it's this idea of whether you have a cesarean birth, a vaginal birth, you know, we're talking about unmedicated birth, really using the real language mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to talk about the experience versus, you know, putting things in this kind of hierarchy of like, oh, well, my birth was natural. Well, what do you mean by that? Right, right. It's natural to get pregnant. You know, what if you had IVF or any kind of reproductive assisted technology to get pregnant? Is it not natural then? So, you know, we the thing we the tension I'm always trying to hold in anything that we're putting forward is how do we how do we lean into language that is soft that allows mm-hmm. people to be kinder to themselves in the description mm-hmm. and also gives people the opportunity to like recast their experience. Mm-hmm. I can't even count how many women when I started talking about that all birth is natural or like I've never thought of it that way. And actually, you know what? Like I had a really amazing medicated birth. I love my epidural and my baby came out my vagina. And it's like, yes, that's awesome. Like there's not, we don't need to have this prioritization and competitiveness within something that is already so hard to Mm -hmm. move through. Mm -hmm. I had so much shame. I have two daughters. One is seven, one is almost three. And it took me having my second daughter to get past the trauma of my first daughter because that was very Australian daughter. I'm in Australia right now. Um, You know, I was 28 when I got pregnant with my first child and I had no one in my circle. I had no information. I was also came from Australia where there is the healthcare here is just a much better system. Um, There's a lot of resources after birth as someone who comes and checks on you, helps you with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. I was 28 years old. I had my first kid and I was completely lost. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I had a, I wanted, I wanted, I had a doula like you and I wanted this beautiful kumbaya birth and Mm -hmm. I was cut from right to left and my baby was pulled out and I felt like such a failure Mm -hmm. and it took me five years to get through that. And it's just, we don't have what you're saying. We don't, we, we don't, look after the mother. We don't look Mm -hmm. after their mental health. And like, I had to do my own personal research and how to make my second birth better. Mm -hmm. And I am just so grateful for, you know, I don't know if I'll have another child, but you doing what you're doing is absolutely Mm -hmm. groundbreaking, even if it might not feel like it is because for someone like me who was so lost, I would have probably saved myself five years of mental anguish and a lot of, um, self-doubt and Mm self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really hear that. And, you know, the self-loathing again comes from not making our stories visible. And that's why I think for both of you, Mm -hmm. the platform that you're building, the Mm -hmm. the conversations that you're having are so important because when you, you know, I've heard so many birth stories. I attended so many births and I, I really feel like so lucky that I get to say to women or people when they're telling me their birth story oh that's okay like that's normal like that's everybody's had that and and I think that's what every person and woman deserves and you know and that's I think as we're you know right now we're working on something really exciting at Loom we're moving towards building out an app that's going to launch later next year Mm -hmm. and like one of the things that we're really moving through is just like how can we how can we help normalize Mm -hmm. the experience Mm -hmm. you know how can we help people feel less alone 
in the mm-hmm. hardship of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe battling to get pregnant, mm-hmm. um, having fibroids or PCOS or endometriosis. Uh, you know, I think be, I think there's such power in sharing our stories. And I remember when I had fibroids, um, my first kind of batch of fibroids um, a couple of years ago, and I shared about it. It was really a big moment for me too to know that oh, like this thing that I'm living through that really feel shitty and I don't even really want to talk about it that much because I'm, I'm too tired and also just living in a black body I'm just kind of like I you know mm-hmm. don't feel like doing this but then when I did there was so much catharsis and healing on the other side because people were able to identify with what I was going through and I was able to have so many great conversations around it mm-hmm. and so I think you know just to what you were saying Tim and there's so much there in you every time you speak to that experience and your own shame, your own loathing, it's actually an opportunity or kind of like a offering to somebody else to heal right. a little fracture Pain in themselves purpose. when they hear. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up because Tim and I were actually talking about that earlier before we jumped on is about sharing, having those shared experiences and creating the community, which I think is one of the driving forces of, you know, why we have this podcast too. It's so mm-hmm. important to, to share the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, all of it. Uh, but I wanted to ask you too, because I was thinking, um, thinking about this was being in school and being in health class, like probably sixth grade, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> remember like health class. And I just remember it being like, so scientific. It would there, you know, I, I mean, even like I said before, like even at this age I am now, I don't feel like I'm totally body literate. Like I'm always learning about mm-hmm. my body. And I think it really, you know, it could, it would have been helpful had it started, you know, like at an earlier age, almost like in the schools, like teaching these kids, you know, to be body literate and to teach both, you know, boys, girls, like everyone about, you know, their bodies, about, you know, others' bodies, like kind of really getting that education out there. So do you have like any plans to kind of, you know, go like, go with the kids and just kind of like get them educated? Mm -hmm. You know, what's really interesting. I have a lot of different thoughts about that, mm-hmm. but I think the simplest way to put it will be, we feel really focused right now on mm-hmm. educating women around, you know, their mid twenties, kind of mm-hmm. upwards through their fifties, mm-hmm. because those folks are the mentors, the leaders, the mothers, the sisters, the cousins, the aunties. Uh, and for many of us, that's how we learned about our bodies was like someone is, there's still a lot of power in that person-to-person exchange. And I think it's it's even stronger for me when you, Roxy, say like, mm. I still feel body illiterate. It's like yeah. that still needs to be fixed, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's, what's already kind of happening, I think, in that different, in, in, in the world of, you know, folks that are from kindergarten, maybe up to say fourth, fifth grade right now, mm-hmm. is there's just an entire like, cultural revolution happening there, sexual revolution and gender revolution that's mm-hmm. going on, you know, children identifying as trans really young, you know, um, having, uh, coming out as queer or bi, much younger. There's just a lot more happening there. And I have a lot of faith, maybe it's overtly optimistic, but that there's going to be a sea change in that environment because people are at that age or already exploring how they identify and how they want to relate in the world. And then the next thing that comes with that is sex ed generally, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're having to talk about pronouns, like pronouns to me are such a deep unlock Mm -hmm. to get 
deeper into what are you about? What do you need? How's your body feel? It's like, so that's really kind of my feeling around who we need to support because mm-hmm. women outlive physiological, anatomical women outlive men. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be here a little bit longer <laughs> and we, and we, and we, and we need a little bit more information. Perimenopause is a 10 year process. Well, menopause is a 10 year process begins in perimenopause. So, you know, I think our, our, the generation of women from about 25 to about 55 actually mm-hmm. is in need of mm-hmm. more info. And I think that will trickle down. And then there's this kind of force function of what's already happening in your kids' classrooms that you know mm-hmm. is very different to what you might've grown up or been exposed to. So I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful there can be kind of like a meeting in the middle. Okay. You know, we kind of come up in the top and then kind of meet the, meet the other half. When do you think the right time to talk about sex with kids is, you know, I've got an eight year old and she, you know, we accidentally turned on Netflix and we saw one of her um, favorite comedians who's actually part of a cooking show. She's a host of a cooking show and she was uh, doing her stand up comedy and she was in a bra and underwear and she was shaking her butt in front of the camera. And my daughter at eight years old thinks that that's still, you know, it's fun. It's, 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 it's a game, but at some point, you know, she'll hear the word sex. She'll hear the word, what, you know, we say penis and vagina, but she'll hear the word dick and she'll hear all these different terms and, and sexual terms. And I'm at this point, I have a three-year-old and an eight-year-old. So my three-year-old obviously is going to be a while, but my eight-year-old starting to understand her um, desires. She sees boys on like men on uh, billboards and she'll say that man, I feel like he, I, I get flustered. I, I feel attracted to him. She'll even use those words. Mm. So she's starting to have those feelings and emotions. And I just don't want to, excuse my French, fuck it up. I don't want to, I feel like I'm one step away from always screwing my child up. So like, when do we start the conversations and how do we have those conversations when they are so young at eight years old? Mm. You know Everyone is going to come to their own decision about this. My personal feeling is as soon as possible. I think it begins even in infancy, you know, it begins with infant massage, like just the tactile physical location Mm -hmm. of your hand on your child's body. Uh, You know, it's bath time. And I think, you know, like I said, bath time, potty training, these are all places to start to talk about and create ownership over the body. It's really never never really too early. Obviously, from a cognitive perspective, your child's not going to be understanding, you know, what these words might mean, you know, around one to two to four years old, Mm -hmm. but it's really just creating safety around Mm -hmm. locating and calling out those parts of the body. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really a big fan about earlier than, than later. If you haven't had those conversations yet, and, you know, Mm -hmm. Tamman in your situation, your daughter is starting to find herself in a place where she's having desire and an attraction or arousal mm-hmm. and desire. Even those two things are two different things. I mean, that is something I really love to teach. I did, I did a, a teen workshop um, maybe two, three years ago where I taught the teens about teen girls, at least that's how they all identified in terms of pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the difference between arousal and desire that arousal is a physical, physiological response, like, you know, getting wet nipples, getting hard, like feeling blood rushing to your vulva, which is, you know, not the vagina, vagina is the whole vulva is that whole set of structures. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different to desire. Desire is imagining in your head it being excited, wanting someone. 
So those two things are different and you don't always have arousal, the physical response when you have desire. And sometimes you have desire, but you have no arousal. Mm -hmm. And that's really important, especially when it comes to things like you know, wanting to protect our, our, our young people from, you know, sexual assault or in inappropriate sexual situations, mm. explaining the difference. Like you might be aroused, but you know, you don't want this. So how do you like separate the two to be able to protect yourself? So, you know, there's a lot of different paradigms you can put in why it's important to talk about it. It can be like, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want my daughter to start fucking or whatever that might be. Right. right? right. That's, 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 a, that's a very patriarchal approach. But the other way of looking at it is like, I want my daughter or my child to know the difference between arousal and desire so that they can be autonomous in their body. And if they don't feel right, they know how to take care of that because arousal can feel very good, but you might cognitively desire something completely different. So mm. that's, so to, to me, it's like, those are some of the steps There's some great books uh, that, that walk through this, but I think creating space for these types of conversations and sometimes some of the best places to have these convos are, you know, on a walk, you know, mm. um, you know, when your bodies are moving and can kind of metabolize mm. the information, mm -hmm. it's not like, let's sit down and have the birds and the bees conversation. Right. You know, they're pretty, they're pretty exciting combos. And so sometimes moving the body feels good. And then I think too, again, you know, we're in, in a pandemic, so people's comfortability with going to, um, you know, a Korean spa or a spa where there's full nudity, you know, it's one of the things that I find such deep appreciation of within different cultures, whether it's Korean culture or, or, or other, or Japanese culture, the fact that you can, there's days that you could go to the spa and like all of the parents are there, all the moms and the, and the daughters are there, everyone's naked, you know, that, that the comfortability around nakedness is such a, such a, important step to that body literacy and to that body acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, it's like, if you're trying to figure out a way to talk about the body, it's like, it might feel, it might be a great idea to just be in an environment with your child where you can both be naked, you know, mm -hmm. and just talk about the body, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different directions here, but I think really what I'm trying to bring forward is that the discussion about sex and desire and arousal is not mm -hmm. just about you know, checking a box. It's also not just about stopping your child from having sex, it's actually about giving them all the tools to protect themselves and to mm -hmm. understand like what their needs and wants are and to be able to potentially share that with you. Mm -hmm. Because I think over time, you know, when you start getting into the world of birth control, you actually want to be able to talk to your daughter about, mm -hmm. do you want an IUD? Do you want the pill? Do you want a patch? Like, cause these are really important decisions that affect her physiology and also her mental health. Truly like having an IUD over a patch, you're going to have different side effects. Maybe the mm -hmm. pill isn't right. So there's, there's a lot of like system based things and, mm -hmm. you know, long-term impacts about talking about sex that have nothing to do with sex that have everything to do with just making their life more autonomous mm -hmm. and actually making bringing you closer together from a health perspective mm -hmm. you know i think it's interesting kind of piggybacking along with that um i opened it up uh, my instagram for questions for you and one of the questions i got was about children and masturbation because mm -hmm. I guess a lot of times parents are sort of caught off guard when their child when they see their child masturbating whether it be like in the privacy of the child's bedroom or if it could be out in front of you know people and wherever you know be it be it in the house or or out in public 
So um, this specific parent wanted me to ask you, what is the best way to kind of speak to your children about masturbation when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate, kind of that, but not to scare them in such a way that they think it's like shameful or bad? Well, again, I think every parent and every person is going to do what's going to feel best for them around this experience. But I think when you are quite young and you are you know, having maybe your first few masturbatory experiences, mm-hmm. you're not coming to those experiences with a sense of shame. You're not mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm touching myself. This is bad. I shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing this. You're touching yourself because you're like, I feel like I want to touch myself. I feel like I need this. This feels good. I'm going to continue doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, let's just say that's like the baseline kind of neural feedback loop that's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's say that's the neural feedback going on. Parent comes in the room and they're like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? Stop that. Don't don't do that. Right. So that creates this like kind of elemental fissure and introduction of that child out of this like thing that was very pleasure based, Mm -hmm. very much self-soothing. Right. A lot of people masturbate to relax, even as adults, like they're just trying to take care of themselves. And then this, this culture, because it's not Mm -hmm. just the parents, culture, religion flows in and says, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there's this like shame narrative that comes like, I guess I shouldn't do that. I guess that's bad. Right. So the first thing I would say is if you happen to come upon your child masturbating and they don't see you just close the door and and let them have their experience don't don't actually interrupt it and insert yourself you know go get regulated you know go for a walk have a glass of wine text a friend (laughs) like you know do whatever you need to do to de-escalate and then like at the appropriate time and and you as the parent will figure out when that is we'll say hey like i saw you doing something the other day you know, let me talk to you about it. And, you know, that's actually a really normal thing that you're doing. Just make sure that when you're doing it, you do it privately and lock your door. So you have privacy to be able to get more comfortable. Like that would be without even having to talk about what masturbation is, Mm -hmm. that's a really supportive framework for the conversation. Let's just acknowledge that nothing's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. It's pleasurable for you. Please just lock your door. And like, you can, you can actually dose out the layers of that conversation. You can just do that. And then you can come back and talk more about like, okay, what, what is that connected to? Again, you know, there's an age component here too, you know, little, littler people, maybe sometimes between two and four, especially if they happen to have a penis can be a little bit more handsy publicly. And that can be a little bit more challenging to figure out like that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you know, my specialty isn't in, you know, child sexuality. So I won't lean into it in a way that feels, um, you know, I I don't want to kind of like come out of my range of expertise, but what I will say just from an adult perspective is Mm -hmm. let's not shame and let's not create any intensity around the experience, you know, do what you would hope would happen to you. Like if you got caught masturbating, what would you want? (laughs) You'd want someone to be like, right. You know, (laughs) Roxy will be like, get out of there, Tamin. You have two seconds left. Just at the point, just right at the point. Yeah. Yeah. Just like right before you come. So I mean, putting it, but, but the thing is sometimes it's like, again, it's just like, it's so important to have these conversations, ask these Mm. questions. Cause when we actually take a deep breath and think about it, you're like, what would I want? You're like, I don't right. this. And so I think really addressing children in certain situations with the level of kind of grace and autonomy that you would want to provide an adult mm-hmm. is sometimes a really great way to approach things that feel a little sticky or a little hard. I just think it's so fascinating coming from Australia that sex is even 
this huge talk like sex in general like it's so taboo especially in in the states like where mm -hmm. i'm from in in australia you know there are people like your children will be on the beach and my eight-year-old could easily undress and dress herself on the beach without anyone even batting an eyelid we'd probably get arrested in the u.s mm -hmm. like there's such a different way that america like european countries australian like they just don't see sex and view sex the same way they don't they don't make it shameful at all mm -hmm. um why why is this please explain why america is so i feel like backwards when it comes to sex mm -hmm. you know it's it's hard to really pin it down to one specific issue but i think it's as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, it's the patriarchy, it's the misogyny, it's the religiosity. Mm -hmm. You know, those are those are really strong, strong chords um, mm -hmm. in terms of how we make decisions. You know, I think we have seen that there is still very much a conservative approach to so much of our lives in this country, and mm -hmm. it, it, it's 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 there. I mean, I think I think we're going to live in our lifetime, we're going to see some major shifts around that. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, especially as we're fighting against abortion right now, it's very clear that women's bodies and a body that has a uterus mm -hmm. outside of even gendering uh, is not seen as autonomous, it's not seen as equal. Mm -hmm. And that really boils down to, if we really look at the framework, it's, it's a lot of, you know, cultural and religious components that are built into that. And that's not to say to take anything away from anyone's faith or anyone's culture, but we have to admit that the culture we live inside of mm -hmm. doesn't care about women and wants to control their bodies, which is why mm -hmm. these conversations are so important, which is why what we're doing at Loom in terms of just giving women and people information about their bodies in order for them to protect themselves through that education is, is, is so key. But again, I feel like uh, we need to like do a whole kind of ethnographic anthropologic, mm -hmm. you know, magic, like, <laughs> I don't know, time travel. Be like, let me take you back. Kind of like Scrooge. Obviously we've all been dealing with COVID and the pandemic and just all the shit that's come from the last two years. So, um, you know, as far as like women's bodies too, I mean, the debate rages on, um, vaccines have now kind of come into play in all of mm -hmm. this talk, right? What are your feelings on the vaccine? Because there's so many things that are, you know, said that are, you know, in the news, uh, fake news, whatever it is that, you know, about these vaccines and how it affects women's Facts. bodies mm -hmm. yep, and the reproductive um, system itself. So can you tell people just from your perspective, how you feel about, you know, the vaccine? I'm pro vaccine. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, you know, I'm a doctor's daughter. I'm an infectious disease doctor's daughter. I'm also a <laughs> daughter of a nurse. Uh, and I also believe in science. And so I'm very much pro the vaccine. Here are the things that I think are just important to kind of put forward. You know, we're not going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. It's really a privilege to have access to the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And to me, you know, take the vaccine now. It, it, to me, it's just, it, it's, it is about caring for others mm -hmm. taking the vaccine. And I think, again, there's such an individualistic approach to the culture in this country that really makes people have to really get into a very uncomfortable place when they're thinking about the vaccine. Like I really see the vaccine as, you know, scientific marvel, a privilege mm -hmm. and about caring about other people. 
people. Now, in terms of the vaccine and women's health, mm -hmm. the challenge there is women's health was already coming up from behind, right? Huge gap, lack of research, you know, so little, um, even though like heart attacks are the number one killer of women, mm -hmm. so few women understand that they need to be getting really rigorous, you know, cardiac, uh, you know, uh, not scans, but they need to be looking more rigorously into their cardiac health, basically. Mm -hmm. So in terms of how much testing was done to make sure that, mm -hmm. you know, people that have uteruses would have absolutely no side effects mm -hmm. with the vaccine, I'm going to say not much. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. there definitely has been a lot of, you know, um, reports of, you know, people that bleed and that have, that have their menstrual cycle, seeing a lot of changes in the length uh, of the cycle, you know, more kind of like difference in, you know, bleeding, you know, irregularities. And there's actually just recently, I think about two weeks ago, they launched a national, um, research uh, project about checking in with women to have them share what their uh, menstrual experience has been since taking the vaccine. So we're going to have some more data in the next, you know, mm -hmm. 24 months, giving us a little bit more insight. Mm -hmm. My feeling is, does the vaccine potentially affect menstrual cycles? Mm -hmm. I would probably say yes, mm -hmm. just because, you know, our ovulation is like, it's like a form of homeostasis in our bodies. It's a very core uh, or, or, or critical function in our bodies. And we still don't know a lot about it. So mm -hmm. I feel okay in saying there probably is an effect. Do I think it's going to affect fertility? No. Do I think it's going to, you know, affect menstrual comfort potentially mm -hmm. in terms of like, I like to have my 27 day cycle and now it's 33 days and mm -hmm. sometimes it's 35, like, and the mental anguish that that might create or heavier bleeding Yes. Mm -hmm. So again, a little bit of a yes mm -hmm. and no, but answer, but that's also science. It's like science is not conclusive. It's always evolving. And that's like mm -hmm. actually what I think a lot of people don't really want to subscribe to because it's exhausting, mm -hmm. but that's why not everybody's a scientist. <laughs> you know, you really have to have the stamina for like, <laughs> it was this and now it's not that anymore. And it's not. So I think, you know, one of the best skills that I think any of us can build right now is you know, learning to be more comfortable with what is uncomfortable and really finding, you know, points of, of softness and, and points of predictability where we can, whether that's meditating or eating or, you know, exercising or reading or just vegging out and watching Selling Sunset on Netflix. I don't know. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to do How did you know? Thing. <laughs> I actually haven't started it, but I was thinking because about it last night. So, because it's also me, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, just cling to the things that are a little bit more predictable, self-soothe in ways that are healthy, but we are in an incredible time of like scientific breakthrough and breakthroughs are not conclusive. They are evolving. So I just, I think the way my mind is really tethered to it is like, we're going to find out so much. We're going to find out so much over the next couple of years. And I think it's all going to be to the benefit long-term, like asking so many women about how do the vaccine affects or affect your menstrual cycle? Amen. When's the last time we asked that many women about anything around their menstrual cycle? There's going to be other, there's going to be other information we're going to find out off the back of that. So anyway, all of that in which to say everyone is entitled to make their own choice for their body. But my feeling is very much pro-vaccine and really just about 
really softly moving yourself through, you know, the scientific method that has to go around mm-hmm. this type of breakthrough and mm-hmm. and we're just happening to live through it you know it's like we didn't live through polio we lived through this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know well you are a phenomenal woman I could listen to you speak for I was actually quite anxious this morning and I feel quite soothed so <laughs> I almost <laughs> wish I know you're not a doula you, you don't practice being a doula right now right I'm like maybe no, I'll just have no. a third so that you can bring that baby to the world just so I can hang out with you um that would really be uh wonderful for me I'd feel <sighs> Right about my life, but thank you so much. I mean, there's so many other things that we could ask you. Um, Bring me obviously back. The, yes. more to come. I would, we would, yeah, we would that. be honored. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have yeah. so many questions from so many of our listeners. Um, but if if we can't have you back, <laughs> and I can't have my third baby, and you'll pop it out for me, <laughs> then where can people find more information and uh, listen to you speak? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Erica Chitty, E-R-I-C-A-C-H-I-D-I. And you can find out about Loom at Loom HQ, L-O-O-M-H-Q on Instagram. And then LoomHQ.com is where all of the good stuff is happening. And sign up for our newsletter, The Spool. It's coming back. It's going to be hot fire. Very excited about it. Uh, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of great stuff happening in the new year. We're, we're cooking up some good things. So I'm excited to just, you know, keep talking. Yes. We now understand why Menace Maltro is uh, your BFF. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> it's Gwyneth Paltrow, guys. If you can't figure that out, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. <laughs> She's a real sweetheart. We, we, we yeah. love GP. You guys have yeah. a great like dynamic too, like on the podcast, on the Goop podcast. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just two Libras. That's a big part of it. Uh, um, you know, and I think raising a Libra. You're making one. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been super fun. And I, you know, I think again, it's just the more that we can cross bridges, bring together, explode things, unearth things, Mm -hmm. you know, gently, I'm, I'm all about, I'm all about fucking shit up, but gently. Oh yeah. (laughs) We're, I think we're fucking shit up, but like the negative, like you're doing it like, yeah, yeah, making changes and waves in the universe. And we're just like, yeah, just screwing up pretty much. But we're trying. So thank you guys great. so much. Thank you, Erica. You can find us on Women on Top Official, Women on Top Official on Instagram. <laughs> and Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. And we have a clubhouse group, Women on Top. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment so we can keep yes. bringing you amazing guests like Erica. We love you guys so much. I am Tamin Sursok. And I am Roxy Manning. And we are Women. On. Let's hear it, Erica. Top. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.